Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Season 7, Episode 6. But it was just taking that 30 seconds of being brave and introducing myself to Joe Schmo um, at University X and not caring who they were, where they coached. Um, you know, was it football? Was it Olympic sports? Was it a junior college? Was it, um, did they work in the private sector? Um, I was able to take knowledge and guidance from any coach that would let me, you know, chew their ear. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. This is the NSCA Coaching Podcast, and I'm Eric McMahon. Today, we're joined by 2019 NSCA Assistant Coach of the Year, Ashley Jackson, won the award at the NSCA Coaches Conference, and she was a coach at the University of Michigan for about 10 years before her current role at Texas A&M University. Ashley, welcome. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, I'm always excited to talk to an experienced coach in the profession, and I think that's it's pretty cool when you when you see someone who has worked at one institution for going on a decade. You know, I, I think we can all say we know you're doing something right. You know, to have that kind of tenure in one place, and a lot of things have to work out for that sort of career build to happen and uh wanted to connect with you today about you you made the move to AM. you're the assistant director of strength and conditioning tell us about that role sure yeah um i came down to or back to texas a&m this is actually uh, where i went to undergrad school um so got my exercise physiology degree from here and scooted out of town as soon as i could afterwards i uh, wanted to explore the world uh, landed in Michigan at the University of Michigan. I always say I got tricked into coming up there um, just with the weather. Um, that was really a pain in my side for however long that was. Um, but it was the people that really made it special for me and the athletes and the coaches that I got to work with. Um, I spent as long as I did up there despite the weather um, because I was really never able to say I've stopped learning. I've stopped um, reaching, being able to reach for new things. I've stopped being supported. Um, I always felt like there was something I could continue to gain from my time and from the people I was around. Um, there was people training for the Olympics. There was coaches, coaches of the year. There was uh, my director and, and our strength and conditioning staff specifically were an amazing support staff um, for me and to really mold and mentor me. Um, you know, I started there as a young coach and uh, they really helped me develop into, into who I am today. So assistant director title, and we've seen this evolution of job titles in the field. What does that entail? What teams do you work with and what kind of oversight do you have? Yeah. So here at AM, I work with women's soccer and then women's tennis um, and came to AM with the title of assistant director. Um really had been looking for, you know, quote unquote, that next step in my career. And it was hard for me to, to think about taking a lateral step. Um, and it's not all about the title either for me, though, it was important as I continued in my career to know that um, I was a valued part of the staff and that I would continue to be challenged. And what I really wanted to be challenged in was my leadership 
um, and my mentorship and my ability to guide, you know, other staff members, you know, um, we talked about having been done this for a while. Um, so I wanted to be able to utilize those skills um, and start to pass those on. Um, so that kind of just molded in with the title. Um, I love, I really enjoy working with the two sports I have. Um, it allows me to spend a lot of time with both of them individually. Um, so I get to see them at practice. I get to see them at competition. Um, get to be in on some of their team meetings, really get to like the gritty parts of what the culture of the programs are, what the coaches' expectations are, and, you know, what they expect from those student athletes day in and day out. And I'm not just seeing them at 7 a.m. lift twice a week. Um, I think it's really hard to develop relationships and um, get out of what you want them, those, you know, the high level expectations that you have for them. It's hard to get that when you see them for, you know, 60 minutes total a week. Um, so this has really allowed me to to get um, some great relationships started and um, be around the sport programs as much as I can. You touched on leadership progressions for coaches. And I think when we get into this profession, there's an element of pay your dues, keep your head down, keep the equipment clean, uh, do whatever you're told to do. And leadership challenges that a little bit, especially in an assistant coach role where you hopefully are gravitating towards opportunities to grow your leadership potential. And you can do that with your teams individually, but that grows to a department level uh, as you, as you move up the ranks. How do you look at building leadership skills as a coach? And how do you suggest uh, aspiring coaches put themselves on that pathway? Yeah. I mean, I think assistant coaches and even myself in this position, there's two things we're asked to do simultaneously, and that's follow and lead. Um, and to be good at both of those things, I think is pretty tough. Um, but once you figure out how to um, give both of those significant time and effort, then I think they tend to come a little easier. Um, for leadership, you know, styles and skills, I want to say make sure and surround yourself with good leaders. Um, you know, there's a man that sits next door to me, Bo Sandoval. Um, he's someone I've kind of followed around the country. We were at Michigan together, and then we took uh, positions at Texas A&M at the same time. And that was a big part of me moving back down south is knowing that I would have his support and guidance as I continued to want to be a better leader um, and a more confident coach um, and really, you know, shine up my my coaching package. I knew that he was the guy I wanted to continue to be around. Um, and just looking for those opportunities to support yourself, whether that's being around great sport coaches, great administration, other good strength and conditioning professionals. Um, that was something I really tried to not limit myself with at Michigan. Um, you know, I said we had a great staff there with strength and conditioning, but the sport coaches that we were, um, you know, around every day were just phenomenal. Um, and to be able to, you know, have coffee with Carol Hutchins um, or, you know, go and watch a hockey game with Red Berenson coaching, like there are some like all stars that were, you know, walking the halls of of our um, athletic department. Um, so being able to learn from them and just see how they carried themselves in leadership positions, how they spoke in opportunities that they were given, um, how they guided their programs and and really left a lasting mark on an already remarkable institution um, was something I've, I've really tried to to keep with me. I think there's a lot of 
cool points and takeaways in what you just said, and you're naming sport coaches. And I think, gosh, I think back to college and leadership books that were really popular at the time, uh, Coach K and all these, Pat Summit, all these iconic coaches, and they put books out there on leadership from the sports side. And when I look at strength and conditioning now, and we can maybe joke about this, but there's a lot of strength and conditioning coaches talking about putting books out there now. And there's there's more of a leadership lesson and more takeaways coming from our field and our prof- profession. And I think it speaks to the maturity of what we're doing now. And maybe just generationally, we, we're, we're growing up as a profession. We're realizing maybe some of the errors of our ways in the past, but we're we're bringing in some of those leadership lessons. And so I think that's really cool to talk leadership and strength and conditioning because it is different. And you mentioned it from a follow and a lead uh, side of things because we're, you know, we're not the head coaches, but how do you lead from an ancillary position? I think that's such an interesting discussion to have. Uh, another thing you said, you know, talking about Bo Sandoval and he's obviously a huge uh, contributor to the NSCA over the years. And I think there's this element in our field of I'm going to get my education and then I'm going to find someone to sort of hitch my wagon to and progress along with them and get, you know, they're going to give me recommendations. They're going to guide me through that. But the way you were speaking about that relationship, it's more the, mentorship value of that over time. And I think it speaks to building that relationship with a mentor and not just blindly following a a leader in the profession. Maybe that's not the right leader for you, for some coaches. And I think on that maturity of leadership conversation, there's something to that. And so what I want to ask you is, how do you find a mentor in this profession? You're a, you're a young coach in the profession. Someone's listening to this podcast and maybe you don't know anybody. Maybe you're in an exercise science program. Maybe you're not. You're just getting exposed to the field. Where do you seek that out? Yeah, and I think this is definitely a space where our profession has improved, you know, in the past decade or so is creating those opportunities for the young coaches, you know, even if it's specifically going to a conference where we have, you know, first timers convention or for, you know, first timers happy hour, like that's an amazing opportunity for young coaches to kind of be in the spotlight of the scenario and um, for more veteran coaches in the field to be able to go and meet them and mingle and then And I think, you know, you can't just grab someone off the street and be like, yeah, you're my mentor. I'm going to follow you. I don't know what you do yet, but it sounds cool. (laughs) Um, I think that, you know, some people kind of rush into those relationships sometimes where it's got to be pretty, um, you know, mutual. I'm going to give, you're going to take, you're going to take, I'm going to give and, you know, agreed upon from the front. Um, but I would say get in a weight room of any sorts that you can as soon as possible, you know, whether that's the rec center at your college, whether that's, um, sending an email to a local, you know, junior college, like get in a weight room and start meeting people, start watching athletes train, start watching coaches coach. You're going to start to pick up on a lot of things. And the more that you're around and showing that you're, you know, interested and invested with your time, people are going to take notice of you. 
I think that's definitely something, you know, even I could have done better as a young coach. I didn't really know anyone getting into this field. I wasn't surrounded by a great group of supportive coaches who, you know, took me under their wing and introduced me to everybody. Um, so I had to, you know, claw and kick a little bit to get into, um, to into those groups of, you know, probably the people I called my, you know, best friends now. Um, but it was just taking that 30 seconds of being brave and introducing myself to Joe Schmo um, at University X and not caring who they wore, where they coached, um, you know, was it football, was it Olympic sports, was it a junior college, was it, um, did they work in the private sector? Um, I was able to take knowledge and guidance from any coach that would let me, you know, chew their ear. I like that. I like that perspective and I can connect with that. I, I came from Vermont. You may not know that. And there wasn't a lot of strength and conditioning uh, in the state growing up and, getting exposed to this profession, I realized pretty early I was going to have to probably live my life in another state or go somewhere else. But I considered mentors, anybody I was gathering information from, you know, what I was, whether I was personal training and it was just someone who was CSCS certified working at the, at the gym with me, or when I joined the NSCA and I started reading the journals and, and then I remember Alan Hedrick would write a lot of articles in the in the, in the strength and conditioning journal for years. And I never met him until I actually worked here 20 years later. So, uh, but I would consider that a, a form of mentorship where you're gravitating towards someone's content or someone's, uh, leadership in the profession, their path. Um, I, I think it's, I think we've come a long way. There's more of us, I think, willing to share nowadays than, then early on that uh, less secrets in our profession. Uh, do, do you feel like that's something that's important, just our ability to to share? Maybe this speaks to the value of being a mentor. Yeah, and I, I want to give a shout out to the, the NSCA Women's Committee. Um, I was a part of that, and we weren't able to do it while I was there. So huge shout out, shout out to Sarah and, and the staff that's on there. But they've created, you know, a mentorship opportunity within that for young coaches um, and mentors. I think both sides are important. Um, being a mentor or an intern leader um, and, you know, supervisor of the program, I've learned more from the young coaches that, um, you know, I help out every day than, than they'll ever know. Um, so I think it's definitely too decided what you get out of that. Um, but absolutely props to them. Um, I think that coaches all around, you know, especially after COVID are just craving um, ways to work and talk and be around each other. Um, you know, we all sat behind computers for so long and we were away from our athletes and away from, you know, education opportunities where I think the coaches decided that that was something that was necessary to their, you know, healthy lifestyles of, of this profession that we've chosen. Um, so I think for sure there's opportunities abound in that, you know, even some are paid right now, like those that, you know, can find a, a little bit of a jingle in their pocket from creating relationships if they work more to them. Um, but I think, with the internship program, just at the base level, whether it's college or a private facility, that's an easy way to get in and start to meet people. Um, and I wouldn't want to be around anyone that's not an open book and doesn't want to share. Um, so I would say definitely keep that in mind of of who you're, you know, giving your time and energy to. Um, 
if they're not willing to to share everything with you. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And you spoke about 2020 and just the, obviously we had a global pandemic and that changed a lot of the way we communicate with each other. One thing that happened during that time is coaches were online more and uh, gravitated towards a lot of continuing education in the field. And I think one evolution that's happened from 20, 30 years ago to today and it's because of the access to information is there are, it's information overload. We have so many different courses we can take. We have so many different credentials we can get now. What, how have you navigated just the, the vast realm of offerings that exist in education today? What do you, what advice do you have for coaches that are maybe on the front end of that process and a little overwhelmed by all the things they they think they need to learn. Yeah, I, I think I really leaned on and looked into people were doing what I thought I wanted to do. So, I, you know, at the time when I was a young coach, I wanted to be, you know, a director at the division one level. Um, and so I started to seek those people out, see what their credentials were, see what their experience was like. You know, did they have a master's degree? Did they have all the certifications? Were they doing, you know, extra continuing education outside of the minimum? And, you know, were they involved with committees? Were they on, you know, boards? How deep were they diving into um, really driving forward the strength and conditioning profession? Um, and the uh, Mike, Mike Favor, my director at Michigan, really helped me um, kind of open my eyes. I feel like I knocked on his door probably every day. I was probably that annoying young coach. I'm like, Mike, Mike, I want to be the best. Like, what can I do? And he's like, well, have you done the work I asked you to do today? I'm like, yeah, yeah, not yet, not yet. I want to be the best. What can I do? And he's like, okay, go take care of the work you need to do today. I'd come back the next day. I'd be like, Mike, Mike, I want to be the best. And he's like, have you take care of Tuesday's work? I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. And he's like, look, if you want to get new opportunities on your plate and we don't have them for you, here are some other places that you can seek out, whether it's a volunteer opportunity within, you know, our oversight, um, our educational oversight, whether that's with the NSCA, whether that's with CSC, sorry, CSCCA, um, you know, how far into those organizations have you looked? Are there opportunities for you to begin to lead and practice these things you say you want to do, even though I can't give them to you right now? And I was like, no, I, ha I haven't done that. So yeah, he was a huge driver in get your name out there, get out of my doorway um, and help yourself. Um, so really with that, he helped me drive like where I wanted to pick, um, to spend my time and my money. I think that's a huge thing too, is like, it, depending on what kind of funds you have available, you've really got to be selective with where you're investing those. Um, you know, if, if what you've decided is that you need to go to graduate school and you have just enough money for graduate school, don't try to get three certifications at the same time. Um, you know, debt is a scary thing. And, and as I grow old, I, you know, that's one of the things I continue to think about is minimizing my debt. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes within this profession, you have to do these continuing education courses um, and certifications out of your pocket. 
Um, so I really tried to minimize that, whatever was coming out of my pocket. So if Michigan or wherever I was said that they would cover USAW, I'm in. Like, I'm going to do that. It's free. Why would I not spend my time doing that? Um, and there just, you know, became so many opportunities to do that were covered or free or, you know, at a minimized cost. Um, and then as I began to, you know, spend more time volunteering with the NSCA, then I started to see a little feedback with what they were willing to help me out with conferences. I mean, and that has been super helpful, um, you know, with investment. It's a, it's a two-way street. Yeah, I, I I like the plug for the NSCA in there, and I know you've been pretty involved over the years. But one thing, and this came up recently, I was talking to a student group, and I was really impressed by by this group because when our staff was sharing about NSCA volunteer opportunities and opportunities to get involved, uh, that's probably not something early in my career I would have jumped at because you have other things going on. You're trying to get your degrees, your certifications, but they had a lot of questions about that. And uh, that opened my eyes maybe to where we're at with this current generation. I think it's uh we have to know where our future is and what what's inspiring to them so that we can uh, bring them along with us. But it started getting me thinking about the NSCA and volunteerism within the leader uh, within the NSCA as as a leadership bridge. And we all want to be leaders of programs. We all want to have director job titles. But we start as interns, we start as assistant coaches, and our institutions maybe aren't always ready to promote us when we think we're ready. But there are so many opportunities to get involved with special interest groups, professional development groups, uh, committees at the NSCA. And there's a leadership pipeline there that allows you to get that experience uh, just by going a little bit above and beyond your normal daily job responsibilities. and it can be really impactful. And we have so many great volunteers. You mentioned our women's committee, but uh, we there's there's so many groups and they're they're really working groups that that take on projects, that make recommendations to the board of directors. And if you for anyone who knows anything about nonprofits and leadership structure, that's those decisions and those ideas really shape the future of our industry. You know, I think it's really great to think about the growth we've had the last 20 years in this profession. And I'm going to bridge this to a question for you about maybe where we're headed. But I I think it's really great to think that where we're at today and the success we're having today in this profession is largely a part of good decision making 10, 15, 20 years ago that put us on this path. So what we're working on now at the NSCA is is set is is intended to make our future even better, even brighter. So what I want to ask you, I think you know there's there's always areas of growth, things we're working on in this profession. What are some things we're doing really well as a profession? And what are some areas that maybe we haven't put enough focus? Yeah. Um, I'll start with something. Obviously, I'm a little bit more um uh on top of knowledge within the NCAA, you know, coaching realm um, is making sure that our strength coaches and professionals are supported and guided and 
really judged on appropriate things to what their job responsibilities are and making sure that they're reporting to the right people, I think is a huge piece of that. Um, there's still a lot of coaches around the country that report to head sport coaches. And I think that that can get really dicey really fast. Um, and with the pressure and really, you know, motivation of winning um, seems to be and always will be there within this NCAA system. I think um, it's tough to hold people accountable um, and always do the right thing when your supervisor um, has his job or her job on the line every day. Um, so making sure really the medical model all the way down to the strength and conditioning coaches is appropriately um, sanctioned and like governed, I think is, is huge. Um, so you'll see that all around. So I want to make sure that that continues to be appropriate. Um, and really that strength and conditioning coaches are um, represented at the highest level of administration. That's really going to continue to push um, us as coaches getting taken care of and not just financially, um, but making sure our health and longevity is important to athletic departments as well. Um, because other, other than that, you're going to start to see a huge influx of, you know, young coaches. Um, and you've seen, you can see that with the data a little bit, you know, the NSCA released that um, salary survey um, talking about uh, the kind of the gaps or showing the gaps of, there's a huge chunk of young coaches. There's not a, such a huge chunk of middle-aged coaches. Um, and then, you know, those that have been in the years 20 plus starts to, to dissipate and go down. Um, so I think I'm a little worried about that too, that the health and longevity of our professionals isn't being um, at the utmost of our, you know, time and attention. There's a, there's a lot to unpack there. I think it's really interesting to think about you know, the causes of attrition in our profession. Why, why would someone leave this profession? This is something that we, you know, usually we're pretty motivated to get into this career path. We maybe through our athletic experience or through a, we have a great coach that inspires us. And so it's something that really connects with us. And so when you see coaches leaving the field, it makes me think that a lot of times it is the uh, financial aspects or just being able to make ends meet in this, this career path, having to move around too much. Um, I have a family, you have a family, uh, that wasn't probably part of our decision-making, uh, in the first few years, uh, when we started coaching and, and now it's obviously a huge part of that. You know, what do you think about that? Uh, it makes me think, so it was a couple years ago, it was the first million dollar strength coach. Um, it, it's tough to, I mean, thinking about a million dollars for me, I would be like winning the lottery. Um, but I'm also like so happy for those coaches that continue to push the bubble of um, pushing that ceiling for us. And it just it doesn't trickle down as quickly as I think we would all like to. Um, but we also have to be, you know, in reality of knowing that, you know, if you work for power five university that wins a national championship every other year in football, there's a lot of money going in, there's a lot of money going out. And so, you know, there's going to be big salaries there and it's just not fair to compare yourself to those. Um, but I think that 
there are, you know, opportunities around us where we can continue to positively influence what our salaries could and should look like. Um, and like I talked about having representatives at the highest level of administration within our athletic departments will help show those that have say and those that can change salaries and salary grades how important and integral we are to the athletic department um and there's a another coach two doors down Rochelle Ellsworth um she's been here for 20 plus years and um she has some crazy stories um you know to share about what things were like 20 25 years ago about um you know, what sports coaches were coming in and what they were making and how quickly that, you know, rose with their success. I think another great thing that helps with that is a performance, um, basically a performance bonus within your sports. I know that there are some universities that do that, um, where the sport coaches and all the assistant coaches get a performance bonus, depending on how well those sports do in their postseason and um, their competitive season. So I definitely think that we should be a part of that. Um, if fingers can be pointed to us on, on how we haven't done well, I think we should definitely be able to point to us and say, you're part of the reason that we did really well this year. Um, so I'm in my coach's ear all the time, uh, all of my coaches all the time of making sure that, you know, we're involved in those important decision-making processes. And I don't want to be, um, you know, the weight room troll that just sits in my office. Um, I'm out and about, I'm at matches, I'm at practices, I'm at team meetings. Um, I'm chatting with recruits. I'm chatting with parents. Like I'm around as much as I can because I'm trying to create a positive influence and not just be a dictator in the weight room. Um, but I feel like that our influence is much is could be and should be much broader than just sets and reps. Um, and that comes, I think, one coach at a time, one institution at a time. And for people to just continue to be stubborn um, and continue fighting and those that are, you know, making million plus, like continue to fight for their assistance, because as those averages continue to go up, it forces other institutions to be competitive. Um, so. I hope that I hope it trickles down and continues to. No, I think that's that's an encouraging way to look at it. And I it would be easy to say as a D2, D3 coach, oh well, that's power five or that's football. Well, we'll we'll never get there. But when we look at it year after year, our profession does get better. Our jobs do get better, more opportunities come about. And it is, it is a slow game and not everybody's benefiting from that equally at the same time. And I think that's, that's the challenge we see. So it, I think it speaks to something that comes through loud and clear, just the way you, you've kind of given us a tour of, of your building by office, by office of just the people you talk to on a daily, on a daily basis, you're on the go, you're moving around, you're not chained to the weight room. You know your campus, you know your administration, you know your coaches, you're in their ear. And I think that's a really cool aspect of strength and conditioning is that we are cross-functional. It is our job to work across the sport coaching staff with the head coach, with the assistant coach, position coaches, maybe connecting what we do to specific drills. There's always a lot to talk about. And I'll, and obviously now with performance technology, sports science, uh, just all the integration that 
I think that's one of the greatest things coming from sports science and technology is that it's starting to connect the weight room to the practice field or in the, and maybe the game field in a lot of scenarios. You're at a good size school. What, what have you seen around sports science? How's that get integrated into your strength and conditioning programs? Yeah. I mean, I, I am a huge advocate of support staff in general because I understand and I am very public with I as one as a strength coach cannot do my job at the highest level without the support of the support staff um, to the student athletes. I can write the perfect program. I can implement it to the best of my abilities. But if all of the other variables that we all know, you know, interact with how it goes from weight room to competition field or competition court aren't in sync, then it doesn't matter what we're doing in here. Um, so I've almost seen like my role have how I think of it as a strength and conditioning coach to more of like a performance manager. Um, I know what's going on in all of the realms that are really touching the student athletes daily. I know what their nutrition looks like. I know what their data from practice looks like. I know what their sleep looks like. Are they utilizing their recovery um, options within, you know, the athletic training room? Are they involved with physical therapy? Should they be involved with physical therapy? Are they on medication of any sort? Like super deep dive into. So I can't just look at someone on testing day and say, we well, didn't hit a PR today. What's wrong? Like, I, I know the the answers to the questions before they come up. Um, and that takes the time being around everybody, but also just constant communication with your support staff members. You know, we have a team messaging system that um, probably blows up more times a day than anyone would like, but we all know what's going on. The nutrition, the dietitian knows what we did for lift that morning. The, you know, head coach knows what's planned for post-practice conditioning. They know what, you know, average sleep scores look like from the night before. They know what they're like going to expect to see. Uh, I think that helps a lot with expectations um, and keeping those at a, you know, a doable level. So there's no surprises really. Um, with sports science specifically, super grateful to have sports scientists, you know, on our staff. It allows me to do so many more things than a one-man show um, that I might have, you know, done in the past where I'm trying to collect, you know, the logistics side and the backside, collect everything and then put it into a readable format, share with the coaches, answer questions. Um, you know, sports science here has been amazing with um, almost forming it into of, you know, hey coach, what questions do you have? Um, not these are the pieces of technology that we have. Like, what questions do you have that we can help you answer? Um, and so that's been a really cool uh, relationship to build with our um, sports science staff and how they're able to help us really increase the rate at how we're performing and um, you know how we keep getting better. One thing we talk about a lot in this field is communication. And I think the way you answered that highlights the value of technology and the integration of sports science as a way to improve communication across the department to our athletes, uh, just understanding what's going on with them. There's just, there's a lot of takeaways there. I know sport technology, sports science, all these terms, all these areas are coming at us really fast right now, but I, I'm actually really encouraged by 
how it's getting implemented. And it's a little different everywhere you go, but there are great professionals, whether they are dedicated sports scientists, whether they're dual role strength and conditioning coaches, implementing technology. I think, I think our head's in the right place as a profession about where this can take us. We talk about integrated performance departments, collaborating with other areas. And these are, these were aspirations for us for many years. And we're starting to have the tools to be able to really build well-oiled performance machines, these great departments that can really impact athletes better than maybe the resources we had. So uh, this has been fun. There's been cool to talk, talk shop with you, new role since you won your award with the NSCA back in 2019 and uh, uh, always good catching up. Yeah. Thanks so much, Eric. Great to talk to you. Yeah. For, for people tuning in, what's the best way to reach out? What's your, uh, maybe your social media? Uh, social media is TX stronger. Cool. So we can, uh, we can drop that in the show notes and, uh, anyone who wants to reach out, Ashley Jackson, Texas A&M assistant director of strength and conditioning, and, uh, just a great conversation today. So we appreciate that. Thanks for tuning in. And also thanks to Sorenex exercise equipment. We appreciate their support. Hi, this is Ivan Lewis, head strength conditioning coach at the Seattle Seahawks. Thanks for listening to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts to have the latest episodes delivered right to you. Also, take your career forward by joining the NSCA's Registered Strength Conditioning Coach Program. Learn more about becoming an RSCC at nsca.com slash RSCC. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.